0: everyone. Welcome to the Charberg podcast. This is your host Kushal Mehra. All right. Today's discussion has been titled Big Tech versus the Government of India for a specific reason. Um, Because we're going to be discussing this issue. And one of the premises of today's discussion is going to be, is it Big Tech versus Government of India? Or is it specific companies having specific problems with the government? And I'm very happy to have with us uh, Nikhil Mehra to uh, to. Basically, explain to us the legalities uh, of this uh, particular uh, scuffle between government of India and primarily Twitter or whatever you want to call it. So Nikhil, once again, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me again, Kushal. Pleasure as
0: always. So Nikhil, let's start like this. And and this is going to be my first question. Honestly, let's clarify this. Uh, You go on mainstream media, you go on various other portals, and we keep listening to this. This is big tech versus government of India. This is big tech flexing it muscle these are all these companies together trying to tell a sovereign state a government a republic of india to do this or do that but i am very confused because when when and this is my genuine question to you so when we start this discussion should we look at it as all these companies on one side and 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 you know these platform providers on one side versus a government or we should look at specific problems from specific companies like for example in the case of whatsapp there is a thing called end-to-end encryption and wa- the government is basically trying to deal with uh, WhatsApp on that end-to-end encryption issue. While on the case of Twitter is a completely different scenario. So how do you think in, in your uh, domain, in the, in the legal domain, how do we start with this itself?
1: Uh, the, uh, you sort of answered your own question. And the answer actually lies, frankly, in your own question. in The way you, you passed out that they provide different services. See, when you say big tech versus the government of India, you sort of the only commonality between these companies is that they are technology companies, right? So, because they are technology companies, they are providing various uh, products and services that you utilize through the use of tech, basically through the use of the internet. But when it comes to what specific services they're providing, those are entirely different. Uh, when it comes to WhatsApp, that's a messaging service. Facebook Messenger, for example, would be different from. Uh, your usual Facebook account where you're posting other kind of material, Instagram is different, and Instagram Messenger would be different. So I would certainly distinguish between a content platform versus a messenger platform, right? And a messenger platform is what is affected on this encrypted end-to-end encrypted uh, demands made by the government of India. But content provision is a separate thing, and there are separate rules that apply to it. So in short. It's it's a it's a misnomer to say big tech versus government of India, and this is sort of painting this picture of a big tech alliance or a big tech monopoly that basically is turning around the world's largest democracy and telling it, you can do whatever you want and we will not listen to you. That's wrong. That's absolutely wrong, right? Uh, I also, I think it's a, it's a little bit propagandist to say that this is how the whole debate has been framed that. It's, it's big tech big tech versus versus the government of India, as if India sort of being cornered and is, you know, it's being asked to flex its muscles in ways it doesn't want to. This is all, it's, it's a complete misdirection of the entire debate. Uh, big tech has the same problems all over the world. They are, these are problems that originate not because they are in India or because they don't want to comply with India. They originate because of the nature of the tech. And the nature of the communication that people find viable in today's day and age. You get abuse on Twitter, which you would never get in real life. In the narrowest sense, there are laws in the IPC that would permit the prosecution of an individual who goes on an incessant abusive tirade on Twitter. Are you going to strictly enforce that on Twitter? Whereas you would... Which you may do in, in uh in, in a real life scenario, because in a real life scenario that kind of abuse might lead to actual violence on Twitter, it may not. Mm-hmm. Right? So I- these are extremely it's 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 a it's a blunt instrument, it's an elephant's foot approach to say big tech versus government. You need to start passing out parsing out very separate issues here.
0: Right. So so let's start with this. Now, if I was to ask you, um how how has been the legal development in this? I, I don't know. I was really trying to think of what question or what word should I add in this question because look, uh, if you ask me when it when it it ha- comes to the internet, right? It is the internet keeps on changing and evolving at a speed of say X. The law does not understand technology at all when, or when I say the law means the lawmakers uh, if I was want to be even more precise. and the lawmakers are constantly playing catch up to the growing evolution of technology by itself. So it's always been like technology gives human beings X. Human beings start using the technology in multiple ways. through those multiple ways come out multiple effects. Through those multiple effects come out multiple problems. And then the government and the state looks at all of this and says, Ha, to technique, let us deal with this in a specific way. So how has the law been evolving while the technology keeps changing? If I was to ask you this.
1: Okay, so let's let's separate so first and foremost, the internet has had the most laissez-faire growth possible. Right? So, by, by that, what I mean to imply is that there's actually been very little law governing it in any sphere. There have been a number of private law remedies that have been applied that pertain to how, for example, you use a digital signature, whether a contract is concluded. Those are minor things. We're not really worried about that over here. We're on the larger regulation, right? So, in, in a larger sense, it's been laissez faire to that extent. But please distinguish two things. The framing of laws, that is the making of laws, which is the textual creation of an edict, which can be enforced against you, versus law enforcement. Two separate things, and they react differently. The act of framing a legislation in words, therefore framing the edict in words, can honestly be an act of fantasy. You can come up with the greatest, most perfect thing that you can imagine in your mind and make it and say, this is law today. Good for you. But the tech doesn't catch up. Or the tech is so far ahead that the law can't be applied. Then comes the issue, okay, you made this fantasy law. How do we enforce it? We can't enforce it. Correct? This would not happen in in real life, in a a physical sense scenario, right? This happens in the tech happens in a tech scenario. So now what are government's doing, and this is what I'm gonna to show to you is happening. They've now basically put their hands up and said, all right, we may not be able to enforce against tech. You guys do it yourself. So in a sense, they are asking these big tech companies to predate upon themselves. If I may put it that way, which is asking them to chew up their own content and become effectively to certain specified areas effectively an arm of law enforcement. Because your ordinary law enforcement can't do it. Right now, let me elucidate that with examples. And I'm gonna take a couple of examples decades apart, right? There is there are in the early days of the internet when when the internet had just started to boom, just started to grow. And, you know, we had those crappy dial-up connections even in India. And and virtually everybody's internet capacity all over the world was fairly similar. It wasn't too far apart from each other. Mm -hmm. You know, then there was a middle phase when, okay, certain countries were much further ahead in the quality of the internet that they were receiving. Some were way further behind. Now we're again getting to a pretty solid state of parity because the tech is caught up all over the world again. Right? Be that as it may, When you first started over the internet, Bill Clinton was president. Bill Clinton basically had a laissez-faire approach to the internet at that time. He says, we're not going to regulate. You can do as you wish to do. But immediately problems start arising. And these are jurisdictional problems which otherwise arise in physical circumstances in a manner in which they can actually be controlled and dealt with. So it was perfectly legal to make child pornography in Japan. Right? or to make films or content that give the impression that the sexual actor in those films or content is in fact a child. And therefore, even if the actor itself is not a child, but to be able to cater to that prurient interest of the particular perverted observer, this was an impression that was created. Both of those things were illegal in various jurisdictions in America. right? and there was no dispute i mean you, you it, it was it's an indisputable principle and i think it's an indisputable principle in india as well we will simply not accept child pornography no problems with the principle itself but what does the tech do right how does the tech enforce this so at that time they only had a filtering mechanism so what they would do is they would impose filters on all content through service providers which had certain keywords or certain key images right And the problem that this suffered from, and so you can find this in CompuServe's judgment, the problem this suffered from was that a lot of what is otherwise perfectly legal content was getting caught in this filtration system, so to speak. And users were being denied access to that kind of. So, for example, when you look at child pornography, so you are are creating a filter for, say, child nudity or uh, sexual words being used towards a child. You could end up filtering out historical websites dealing with genocide, historical websites dealing with the way children were dealt with in the past, or critical websites for all of these materials, saying that these things are all wrong, and if a highly educational websites which would say why this is wrong from a psychological perspective, from a legal perspective, from a sociological perspective, so on and so forth. Right. So what you ended up doing was you. In this filtration process, you captured far too much. And sure, you may have got most of what you wanted, but those guys also understand tech better than you. And so they start moving forward. They start creating new cheat codes. Look, the world's oldest battle, it's been fought forever and ever, is between coders and encryptors. Right? Decoders and encryptors. True. Who will keep concealing things? There are decoders who will keep removing, revealing these things, and you can't actually say one is morally correct and the other is morally wrong because sometimes the encryptor is the government and the decoder is the valiant citizen, and sometimes the encryptor is the is the uh, uh, criminal businessman or criminal uh, individual, and the uh, uh, and the decoder is the government and the state. So it's it's a tussle that can that can switch 180 degrees at any given point in time. Yeah. So in my example, what happens? Now, now you've got this overbreadth problem. So the court was, was, was clear about this. Ex facie, there is no unconstitutionality to your provision of law. Ex facie, it is a perfectly valid provision of law. But the law is not the words that are in the text. The law is, in fact, the technology that you eventually use to enforce. And if that tech has an overbread problem, then we, then we will not allow it right so what happens then most states in the us and now are stuck with a problem of right child pornography we will take as an exception and as an exception to what an exception to what are called as the 26 words so this is this is a very famous uh, metaphor the 26 words that made the internet right mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 a famous phrase that, that's that's used all over and i'll just read them out no provider or user of an interactive computer service, right? So this is one concept. <clears throat> interactive computer service, right? Shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So what are we, we are Facebook, Twitter, etc. are hosting sites for somebody else's content that person remains the speaker twitter and facebook don't become the speaker by virtue right but child pornography what happened there was you may have you may be hosting a bulletin board and this was the era of bulletin boards right this is well before bulletin boards for those you know too young to know were essentially drop boxes i mean they were nothing more than that there was just 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 uh, internet accessible drop boxes where somebody would go drop a file and you could go check that file And mostly Mm -hmm. they were JPEGs or something. We didn't even have streaming video at that time, right? But it was offensive material. It it was child pornographic material. So that bulletin board provider, by this definition, would be completely exempt from liability. But Mm -hmm. in the case of child pornography, what was decided was that you could make an exception and make criminal laws against that bulletin board provider as well Provided that bulletin board provider has been informed that such content has come up and has failed to then remove that content. Right? So this may seem like such a small, logical, simple step.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? But the moment you step into that zone where you are going to start taking content off,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you are starting to exercise editorial discretion. Got it. And the moment you start exercising editorial discretion then recall these words again no such user shall be treated as the publisher but however now you can be treated as a publisher because you're now exercising editorial discretion right this was the fear that internet companies had so what would they do their response would be if you are asking us to take this step We want to outsource the determination of what content we will be taking off or leaving on, right? So, we won't in house make the content uh, the the decision on this content is child pornography or this is not. If you, as a government, come and inform us and take this off, sure, or if you give us extremely narrow, clear guidelines, fine, that's great. We can do that, right? Because, in their eyes, and in the eyes of the law in the United States in particular. What that meant was you still had not started to exercise your discretion in such a manner that you transcend from being a mere interactive computer service to becoming an information content provider.
0: So right? Nikhil, this is a perfect segue. So can I ask you a follow-up question then? Sure. 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 So uh, this actually... Comes to a perfect segue for let's say what is happening with Twitter. Let us talk about WhatsApp I, later I on. To,
1: come to that, I was going to. So I, just let me add on a couple of things here, right? Okay, so sure. This is when I'm talking about this case, and I'm talking about these examples. This is a very primitive state of tech for in, the internet at that time, right? Relative to where we stand today, this is like the Stone Age. You know, if we are today in the 21st century, that form of the internet that I'm talking about, I mean. A, if you, have tab- if you have if you have, if you have writing in paper, that was that was like etching on rock. It was that bad, right? It was that. That's the gap we're talking about. So, as things progress now, in two thousand, India comes up with an IT Act. It, you know, seems like hey, we come up with the legislation. We can now regulate the internet. We had no idea what we would. But we followed certain international norms and we passed a legislation that matched those international norms. And it's been a problem ever since because we kept trying to introduce sections that would narrow it down because suddenly we saw the velocity of movement changed altogether when the tech progressed from being merely these JPEG images and maybe the odd chat box or chat room to now these explosive social media platforms, right? From 2004, 2005 onwards, Facebook is 2005, 2006, if I recall correctly. And Twitter's around that, a couple of years after that. And it just explodes the volume at which content can now be shared. And how many people are getting clued into how many others to whom they would otherwise have had no contact. And social media then becomes something more, more target, more of a target for legislatures than it was before. And in 2011, they come up with a set of intermediary guidelines. And even in those intermediary guidelines, the only requirement placed on these companies is you will be you will do due diligence about users that's nothing more than a minor kyc
0: nikhil uh, for the benefit of our viewers and listeners can you explain what an intermediary is according to indian law be- because i think it will help a lot of people
1: it's exactly what i just read it's it would be this information con- it would be the interactive computer service the service that provides a platform for the placement of information but does not provide the information itself. So Facebook is an intermediary, Twitter is an intermediary, WhatsApp is an intermediary, Instagram is an intermediary. They are they provide you the village square, they don't provide you the information itself. Right? So in, in a town hall example, I am the owner of the town hall, right? I therefore am the interactive the equivalent of the interactive computer service that is I'm providing the venue and people are walking into that town hall and they're speaking. They are the content providers, but to keep the internet vibrant and to keep freedom of speech flowing in that rate, the idea was that we've got to protect these sort of town hall owners, because if this collapses, then the the pace of change of information collapses. Now you can fully well imagine that for the Chinese, From the very beginning, this was, okay, this is nothing but American capitalist uh, democracy propaganda. they want to do their their style, free speech and enforce it all over the world. We are not having it. We are cutting ourselves off. So, be that as it may. For India, in 2011, these intermediary rules come along. They are, essentially, they put a due diligence requirement on these intermediaries. It's not a very stringent requirement. From time to time, requests are made by the central government for removal of certain posts. Those posts are removed periodically. Uh, They are challenged from time to time. A number of cases have come up where they were challenged and those posts were not removed, were removed. It it was sort of a bit of an exercise where neither party is very satisfied. Particularly state is not very satisfied. Now you get this proliferation of fake news. And and honestly, it it feels like all these events start to mirror... Political developments in the US. So fake news is not so much of a problem while Barack Obama is in power and Barack Obama is getting re-elected in 2012. But fake news is a much bigger problem when he's bombing the living bejesus out of Libya and, and other countries. And then Donald Trump arrives in a scenario. Now fake news is, holy shit, fake news has always been there. Fake news is the most difficult thing in the world. Fake news needs to be completely curbed and dealt with. But how do you do it? Right. I Remember, why I'm giving this narrative is I was coming back to that idea of you have legislation making, you have legislation enforcement. Making a legislation is actually quite easy. Legislatures have been doing it for centuries. They know this art. But enforcing the legislation because of the nature of tech is now certainly out of their hands. Your average police officer, if you go and file a complaint to him, even to a simple WhatsApp number and say, this guy on WhatsApp has been bothering me. He's been sending me these kind of info. You know, I don't know where he is. Yeah. So, okay. So, so now what do they do? Now, in 2018, they come up with a set of intermediary rules, amend the rules. This is the crux, right? They amend the rules to say this end to end encryption stuff cannot last the way it is. You have to tell us who the first originator of the info is. Right? And what is that to say? First originator info is actually what your law enforcement is chasing as a vital piece of information in any investigation. And they just find themselves incapable by way of technology of actually accessing that information. So they compare, what are they doing by these rules? Compelling these big tech companies or the specific messenger companies, like I said, separate out messenger from a content platform, so compelling these messenger companies to tell you where this originates from. What does that mean? That means they're effectively using these content companies as an extension of the law enforcement arm. That was my critique of this, right? Right at the start. So I just wanted to explain that. That's why I was like, let me run through the narrative. Now you can ask me whatever you like.
0: Okay, so now let us look at Twitter even more specifically. So I'm going to give you this analogy. Again, I heard it on a podcast. I think it was explained beautifully. Now, uh, to bring it to this state, where does the problem start when the rubber meets the road is basically, um, as you said, Twitter says they're intermediaries, aka platforms, where they just give you the technology where people come and share their views and Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, etc., etc., are not supposed to be liable for whatever is posted over there in any way possible because they are not editing it right that is the keyword. they are not editing the content that is being published over there but they are editing the content not just in the case of child pornography leave the child pornography off because that is a very clear black and white scenario where pretty much everybody can agree on but there are gray areas. Now, let us start talking about the gray areas. So big, uh, so these companies now, Nikhil, have become so big that the analogy where we hear from many people in the West also and many, I think, uh, you know, professors of uh, philosophy and some technology experts are, these big tech companies are now becoming like highways. Highways where people are driving. And then suddenly these people start telling that, aray bhaiya, चला सकते हो आपकी गाड़ी नहीं अच्छा लगता आपकी खराब आपका खराब किसी में Dunga. this is the analogy that we have to take to these platforms now now the problem Nikhil, arises is let's say Twitter has a policy I'll give you a very specific policy that Twitter has which is called dead now what Twitter says is we will not allow you to dead name Uh, Dead naming basically is if somebody has basically changed their gender from male to female and they have done the sexual change surgery or even if they have not and they are transgenders and they they can't be called by their original gender name. That is called dead naming. Now, if that is the case, Twitter's policy has to be standardly applied across all individual sets. Right. But what we observe in the case of Twitter is that Twitter sometimes uses this policy document and applies to A person and does not apply to B person. Now, if Twitter was a platform, just a platform, then it's okay. Twitter can have 100 policies. And if it applies them equitably, I'm fine. I'm driving on their highway. I completely get it. These are the rules. These are the speed limits. I will follow them. But when I find that somebody is driving at 80 miles an hour. They are allowed to drive, but I am driving at 60 miles an hour following the rule book. And they say, I just don't like it because you are, let's say a Donald Trump supporter. And they ban me. In my view, that the moment they do that, they cease to be an intermediary and become an active player. So how do we solve that Nikhil?
1: I mean, I think you're right. I look first and foremost, uh, you, you asked me how to solve this. I'm no expert. I have no idea how to solve it. I'm happy for this section of the whole podcast to be a very discursive section because frankly, it's a greenfield area. It's not as if anybody has great answers on this. As yet. Right? There's a lot of research being done. But what I see in terms of research, what I see in terms of papers is fanciful, newer ways of saying pretty much the same thing. Right? That you need to protect these companies to a large, large degree. All right, so some arguments are made in terms of, oh, it's private property, and the private party, pro- property argument isn't going to fly for much longer, in my view. The problem with the way you frame the example was you took two separate things. So, dead naming is one separate thing, and then disc- discarding uh, you know be- 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 followers of, of Donald Trump is another separate thing altogether. What you're saying is, in the garb of dead naming, getting rid of Trump followers more than getting rid of others. Is the inequity that you're looking at right now if if that is in fact happening you can have two levels of responses right one is a simple reinstatement or a a greater purge of others also who did it or a revisitation of the policy i don't look at these issues as existential for big tech i don't look at them as existential for the larger purpose for which these these companies exist Right, eliminating Donald Trump's Twitter account, Donald Trump's Facebook page—that's when you're starting to step into some serious political space, and you are making political opinions known. You're making your political biases known, and from there, I think it's very difficult for you to argue that you can sort of persist uh, with this safe harbor. Uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, if I recall correctly, because I read this judgment a couple of few weeks ago, and you've got to—you know—you've got to forgive me for this. We planned this for today, so I'm doing this today, but I got vaccinated on Friday, and Kobe shield takes a bit of a, a lot out of you. <laughs> I didn't realize that. I'm feeling still still feeling really lethargic, so I didn't have a chance to go through this again, but that order essentially that judgment is I think is a grant of soshiari um and what it deals with is the issue of could the president's Twitter account block people who are u s citizens? yes. Right, And the short answer was no. Yes, I remember. Right? You can't exercise that power. And from there, he has been very vocal about the fact that Twitter itself can't exercise these kinds of powers. Where it will suddenly block a government department. There have been examples in India of DMs and so on and so forth i recall if i recall correctly in jnk and up etc some dm or some other person's account was suspended right but it is a public forum that one because it is a government uh, entity's account from where access is given and information is meted out pertaining to governments right so these are narrower issues which where once twitter starts exercising these powers again there's a clear remedy there you can turn to twitter and say no The laws will be clear on this. Now what you're trying to do is actually shut down a government office. You have no power to do that. So this has to be reinstated. This still doesn't bring me to the idea of, have you become a publisher? Right? But I think the big sort of elephant in the room on that count is when they called this toolkit thing as manipulated media. Right? Mm -hmm. How do they come up with this tag of manipulated media? Is it just a user... Uh, determination, in which case mass user uh, mass user complaints and they say, okay, so therefore this must be manipulated, or are they actually analyzing the quality of the material that they are receiving, which is a completely different qualitative action. Right? Because if you're just sort of aggregating, oh, okay, so we get 1,000 complaints in favor of the uh, the toolkit and 1,000 against, and and only 500 against it, so right, we're going to call it not manipulate media or manipulated media, as the case may be. If you're just doing that, it's, it's a very different thing, and it, and it, then it just all it shows up is that your system is pathetic, and that it's it's illogical and irrational, and can be challenged on that ground, right? But if you are looking at the material being provided to you, so for example, if they are looking at an article written by alt news or by other uh, fact checkers, and they say based on this article, we've made an independent determination. That this is manipulated media. Then you are exercising editorial control. Then you are starting to exercise editorial control. Right? What I was most disappointed by is, okay, let's suppose they did exercise editorial control. So what? There's no liability in this case immediately. What happens? Nothing happens. Is a very easy answer and easy solution to this. The problem with the ruling government and, or the ruling party uh, and through the extension with the government, is while they may have raised this issue, you haven't done this or you haven't done that, Oh, how can you call it manipulative media? Take that tag away immediately. But where have you proved the thing? Have you come out with enough information to say, this stands proved. This was a toolkit with said X, which is attributable to the Congress party. Indisputably, it is. it stands proved. And you have still called it manipulated media. I haven't seen any such material right and if in the face of that you are still calling it manipulated media then the character of your actions change right and that's when you can start saying no now you are behaving like a publishing platform and you are you are picking sides once you start picking sides you become a content provider and your safe harbor as an intermediary you're no longer an intermediary you are let me go back to this always go back to your first principles your first principles are no provider user of an interactive computer service, which is what Twitter claims to be today, shall be liable as a publisher or a speaker. But if you, are manip- if you are using that manipulation tag based on your own determination of material you have received, and supposing that flies in the face of incontrovertible proof that in fact it was not manipulated, then you have now become an information content provider and you can't escape liability anymore
0: so nikhil can i can i uh, so, I, I would oh, like so to
1: importantly in all of this is whether or not you are a content provider or you remain an interactive service provider it's a fact to fact thing it depends on every scenario every situation there are a lot of cases a lot of reading a lot of cases uh, not cases sorry a lot of uh, literature pertaining to facebook's algorithms around the 2016 election how certain stories are played up more and certain stories are played up less. So this happens with Google as well. Google search as well, right? It, it just what are you going, What is the solution from the legal side? From the philosophical. Well, let's say first from the philosophical side, from the legal side, and then from the law enforcement side to a system that inevitably has to create some form of priority, right? Something has to be a first search. First, the first search hit. Something has to be a second search hit. Some things will fit on the first page. Other things cannot fit on the first page. Right? Because there's a limited amount of space. So how do you solve this beyond the point? I don't know. And I don't think the lawyer, the, the lawmakers anywhere in the world have had a good answer for this. Because if they did, they would have acted against these companies. Right? So, so can- I, I can very easy, if, I, if I were defending Facebook on this, I could go very easily and say, look, I have a particular algorithm that searches out these words. This is the most commonly used link that link shows up first. It is the most commonly shared link. It has nothing to do with me. It's users everywhere. They're using this link more. right? And that is why this link uses shows up more on my algorithm.
0: No, b- but that's not the issue, Nikhil. We cannot say that in the case of the toolkit, there was no publishing call taken on the case of Twitter because they did rely on a fact checker. And on uh, the basis uh, of the judgment of... The-
1: I'm not, I, I I. didn't see anything of that sort that said that. Uh, how do we no, know no. the fact check?
0: The, the decision of Twitter to take a call that this is manipulated media is based on the fact check of Alt News. Are that, you sure? Yeah, yeah. They have stated it. Twitter has stated that Alt News has done this fact check. And on the basis of that fact check... We are taking this decision. So you cannot say that they have not taken a publisher's decision. Magar, usko bhi side it In uh, the case of
1: let me defend for Twitter for a second then. Okay. So okay, Alt News has done a particular check. That check pinpoints of this information is problematic. I look at alt news and I, they are not as credible as a law enforcement agency. So I don't tell anybody that any information pertaining to the toolkit must be suspended or removed. All I do is I put a tag. I do the least cost, mo- least inefficient labeling of a particular post. Right? And I explain the reasons why I've given the
0: label. No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. Nikhil, Nikhil, Nikhil. Twitter relies on IFCN for its facts. IFCN has an uh, IFCN pe alt news. Hai. Okay. So, so it is the case but okay let's even uh, assume that this is not the place where Twitter is right or wrong so I'll give you another scenario now Twitter has a clear-cut policy that they will allow pornography on their platform Twitter pay okay. pornography allowed it child pornography ki baat nahi just regular pornography ki baat now this is also a a, a legal and philosophical and <laughs> political black hole as they call it so here's the Indian law Indian law is categorical it does not allow pornography why because we know movies are released in India in fact this is the biggest problem with Netflix and all those other platforms vis-a-vis um Normal cinema. So imagine if you're a regular cinema movie maker, aapko to, je, you have to sit in front of a censor board. The censor board sits and sees, Ha, they call you a movie, you have a movie, you have a movie, you have a movie, you have a Which
1: law? Look, my understanding of the banning of, of No, no, Nikhil, Nikhil,
0: Nikhil, let me complete my question. Let me complete my question. My point is very simple. Twitter, India allows pornography. India does not allow pornography. Is Twitter following Indian law?
1: Well, I'm not sure. India doesn't allow
0: pornography. That's what I'm trying to get
1: at. India doesn't allow obscene material. It allows certain kinds of pornography. What it doesn't allow is access to specific websites. So it keeps in, it keeps including newer and newer websites in its list of websites that need to be banned access to from India. Those are pornographic websites. I have no no issues with any of that. I have no issues with any of that. Okay. So it's not as if Twitter suddenly is providing material that is per se illegal in India. If it were the case, why doesn't the government just simply go prosecute first the content provider, right? Or issue notice to Twitter saying this content cannot be accessed in India. Should not be accessible in India. Twitter has the capacity to create those regional variations. I'll give you an example. Zaid Hamid, like uh, one of the most entertaining and amusing accounts that used to come from Pakistan. So I love listening to that guy's tweets. Reading that guy's tweets, he is every conspiracy theory rolled into one from Pakistan. <laughs> right? He's he's been banned. You you cannot view his content in India. I still follow him in the hope that किसी ना किसी ban and I can start start looking at his rubbish again. But I can't. I'm not allowed to. So Twitter has that capacity. I again I don't get. What the government's problem is, why don't they just go exercise the power they think exists, rather than making it into this, oh, look at what big tech is doing. Whatever. If you have made a request to Twitter to say, X websites pertaining to pornography need to be removed, Twitter has not complied, then please take action against your various, under your various rules. You have that power. So what happens then is something interesting, and this is where the government is actually in the right. They turn around and say, whenever we make these requests to Twitter, Twitter India just puts its hands up and says, Look, <laughs> Twitter India acts almost like they are themselves nothing but a shell for Twitter U- US. So they may be MDs in name, but they literally have no powers within within India.
0: Yeah, so recently he uh, salesman, So all my... Uh, so what he is
1: essentially saying is that all the content goes to... Uh, content determination goes to the US. So what is Indian law now saying? No, sorry, create an Indian infrastructure. We need to be able to act against a person in India or access a person in India. We can't allow you to have this constant excuse that everything has to go back to the United States. And that's that's fair. I mean, Twitter can't run away from a very reasonable requirement of recalibrating its corporate architecture, right? Corporate architecture recalibration is fundamentally different from saying let's alter the nature of your business. They're not doing that. They're saying you have you're in a substantial market here. You, you have like what five hundred million users. Three hundred in India. How many users would there be? What thirty million?
0: India may be three and a half crore
1: users. Yeah. So thirty-five million users in India. Is that 35 million or? Yeah, 35 million users in India. It's a substantial market. You need to provide a corporate infrastructure here to deal with whatever arises from your actions here. I don't think that's unfair. That's like saying, or or under Indian law, to draw a parallel to taxation law, we're going to treat Twitter India as a permanent establishment. right? If they fail to cooperate with an investigation, let them be visited with the consequences that anybody else who refuses to cooperate with an investigation would be faced with. So, though, though, you know, so this is, you tech companies can't keep running away. They have to give an inch somewhere or the other, and I think on the side of corporate uh, architecture of these companies, they, they can yield, they can yield, but if they expect that there is going to be no touching at all, no 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 questioning at all, uh, no requirements from law enforcement, that's not going
0: yeah and this has been the annoying part about twitter's response right with every other tech company from what we have understood is pretty clear that they've said okay you have given us certain requirements give us this much time we will start working on it twitter has made this as if they are the forbearer of freedom of expression in india they are the babaji who is going to come and save our country from the you know from the fascist indian government which is which is extremely annoying look does india have amazing free speech we all know we don't, but the point is, I don't need a foreign company trying to be my savior. We had one East India company, Twitter can take a break. I, uh, the
1: East India company parallels, I've not been able to accept them honestly in my head. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they are problematic, they are behaving the way they are. Use your power. What's the East India company element here? Yeah, East India company, you have no power against, you have power against Twitter, use it. What's the problem? Enforce your laws. Don't, you know, the problem with the Indian government seems to be that they don't want to actually enforce their laws. And then they want to cry about the fact that the other guy is not worried about their threat. Of course, because your threat doesn't look credible. Why do all of us comply with laws? Because the cops will land up, and as I've done in a past podcast with you, put you in the middle of a really shitty criminal legal system. Right? So you yeah, don't want to get on that path. One of us want to stay clear of that you will keep giving Twitter greater and greater leeway on legitimate requirements, why are you complaining? They'll do what they have to do.
0: Okay, so before we get into the WhatsApp issue, I just want to correct myself. Nirmalya is watching this live and he has corrected me. He says Alt News has now expired as a signatory of IFCN. So I stand corrected. So thanks for correcting me, Nirmalia.
1: Okay, I mean that's still not, in my view, that's still not material to the whole to the whole point. I mean, Twitter, nonetheless, gives you reasons and uses the least intrusive means. They call it manipulated media. Now you send a government uh, notification or whatever, telling or a government letter, telling them, no, 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 you, you know, remove this manipulated media attack. But have you done the underlying work? Have you shown them that there is no reason for it to be manip- to be shown
0: as manipulated? Well, let us start again, Nikhil. But now, okay, we've had uh, enough of, uh, let's say, kya uh, Twitter. Now, I want to get into the other company. And this is where I am more sympathetic to the technology provider than the government. So, let us talk about WhatsApp. Now, the WhatsApp case is slightly different, right? WhatsApp ke WhatsApp case, the government, the government is trying to tell WhatsApp, we need specific information from you in specific uh, cases. And you will have to give us that piece of information. The I, I'm basically giving the simplest possible explanation to which WhatsApp replied, boss, we have an end-to-end encryption software where everything is protected. So we can't share this information with you. Because we cannot share this information with you, uh, this is the problem. Then the government gave a reply, which is uh, available for everyone in the public domain. The government said, we respect privacy. So we are not going to take the information in each and every case. We just need it for this this specific scenario. Now, Nikhil, the problem, how I see it is that there are two two problems here. One is that nobody can say national security does not matter. Everybody can go about merrily and you know everybody can have their secret conversations and the government should have no access to it. But on the other side, there is also an equally valid point that if these companies are going to give a backdoor entry to the government or the state, then the state can misuse it all the time, every time, as much as we want. Now, there is one case in the international precedent where the Apple... Co- company refuses to lock its, unlock its phone and give access to the government. Now tell me how do you see these things from a legal perspective and what is the WhatsApp case?
1: I, I have given you a little bit of background which was that in 2011 certain intermediary rules were passed. Those rules only required due diligence from a company like WhatsApp. Let's just deal with WhatsApp. Where It deals with Significant social media uh, intermediaries, which are companies that have 50 lakh users or more, there's very few of them. We just deal with WhatsApp for that purpose, right? Now, due diligence meant nothing. Due diligence meant that you need to genuinely know who sort of uh, ask for the information from the user of what is your name, what is your location. The user may provide whatever. I mean, you can't verify that. You can't you can't dig into that background, right? And it therefore allowed for end-to-end encryption. Now, what is end-to-end encryption? And this is very, very important. End-to-end encryption essentially is a technology. It's, this is, so therefore, this is about technology architecture where even WhatsApp is unaware of what the content of communication is or who the originators of the communication are. In other words, end-to-end means one end is my phone, And one end, for example, is your phone. If we are communicating on WhatsApp, and these are the only two devices on which there is clarity of identity and clarity of content as to what is being communicated between us. There is no middle server anywhere. There is no cloud. There is nothing else on which this information is stored. Right? Unsent messages, on WhatsApp, are stored on WhatsApp for 30 days, right? But obviously, there is no occasion to have an unsent message sitting there for 30 days. Maybe very tactical, very narrow. You know, security guys may know better. But largely speaking, that has no no real relevance or no real no 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 real role over here. In any event, in 2018, a set of intermediary guidelines are uh, proposed to be passed. And so they have opened up to public discussion. And what the government now says is that we want to be able to access the first originator of the information, right? Now, I, before we go forward, I want to read out for you this specific regulation, which is under challenge rule. This is in rule 4.2. A significant social media intermediary providing services primarily in the nature of messaging. That is why in the start, I had said to you, separate out messaging from content, content platforms, right? So this applies only to messaging platforms, which will have 50 lakh users or more. So maybe Facebook Messenger doesn't fit. I don't know. Shall be shall enable the identification of the first originator of the information on its computer resource as may be required by a judicial order passed by a court of competent jurisdiction or an order passed under section 69 by the competent authority as per the IT Act by the as per the IT rules 2009 well, provided an order shall only be passed for the purpose of prevention, detection, prevention, detection. These are two words that are of immediate import because they imply action by the investigative authority before an action act has occurred. So you want prevention and detection of a larger crime for which you want information. That crime may not eventually occur, but in your opinion, there's a crime that's apprehended. And in that apprehension, you want the ability to already access this information. Right. So these are they 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 are they are a priori. So it's prevention, detection, as opposed to investigation, prosecution, or punishment of an offense. So the next three, investigation, prosecution, or punishment, they are after the fact. An offense has op- an act has already occurred, and now you're taking steps. Right. So this is an important distinction. Keep this in mind. They want powers both before the act is finished and powers after the act is finished. Right. Oh,
0: g- got it. Got it.
1: Of offense related to the sovereignty and integrity of India, the security of the state, friendly relations with foreign states, or public order or of incitement to an offense relating to above. Right? Now, if you look at all of these, this is exactly what Article 19.2 is. What is Article 192? The restriction, the, the reasonable restrictions on freedom of speech and expression. So literally they picked it up and they've copied it. Right? Public order, this broad thing, is in the midst of it or of incitement to an offense relating to the above, or in relation with rape, sexually explicit material, or child sex abuse material, punishable with imprisonment for a term not less than five years, right? So what have they done? They have first gone and said, we want first originator information. That's the main section. The first provider says, all right, but we're not gonna ask for it in every single offense, right? So this is not for 153A, this is not for 295A, ostensibly, because those may not have that longer punishment period, right? Except it. it is for all offenses that deal with the integrity of India, social security of state, friendly relations with foreign states or public order. Now when it's public order, it may well be in relation to any protest site, right? Now this is causing public order problems or it's causing conflict between two separate, uh, what do you call uh, communities? Or is causing, mm-hmm. causing communal problems. And those offenses may be punishable for more than five years. Now, suddenly, even those fit within this domain. Right? Now, they carve out certain exceptions. So, they've, they've now first said, we want the first originator, first originator information. These are the offenses with which for which we want it. And now they say, provided further, no order shall be passed in cases where less intrusive means are effective in identifying the originator of the information. Again, come back to what I said at the start. Legislatively, you can let your imagination run loose and and really legislate the nicest sounding piece of legislation. And this is one of the nice, kind exceptions in this legislation that make it seem far more benign. Right? Because what it's saying is that, hey, we will only come to you if we have no other means of figuring out who sent that message. But if we've already figured it out, then we're not going to come right given that this is made subject to a judicial order it's a substantial protection because now you'll have to go to a judge and say please give me an order to go to whatsapp to say i want this particular messages first user information first originator information right or i want first originator information relating to a particular whatsapp group there may be messages being exchanged on that whatsapp group right it's unclear whether you already have to have the message with you or be aware or be apprehending it because what you are saying is what if it relates to de- prevention and detection so you may not actually even be clear that the message exists but you have some idea about i mean it's really difficult to imagine how
0: they want to enforce this you know so no. this sounds very vague nikhil yeah. am really? i getting it wrong
1: so it it feels very vague, right? It feels very, very vague. And this is why I don't like cases like these being determined just on X facie legislation. They should be determined when the legislation actually gets applied against somebody. Right? So that's when a constitutionality needs to be challenged properly. Supposing they suddenly come and get take your information. Why? Because you are you want to do a podcast with Edward Snowden. Let's assume and you're having certain whatsapp conversations with them that throws up certain national security concerns for either india or as it says friendly relations with foreign states it throws up issues for the united states india wants to enforce against you right but it turns out it's not real or it never it never materializes should they be allowed to actually access your first originator information should they know about this or not Right? this is where we stand now. So what is the less intrusive means in that kind of scenario? Right, It's a bit of a misnomer. Provided also that in complying with an order for identification of the first originator, no significant social media inter- intermediary shall be required to disclose the contents of any electronic message, any other information related to the first originator, or any information related to its other users. This is important. It's another protection. They, aren't, they are not saying, we want to look into what is being said. Right? So, I would assume they already know what's being said. Got it. Right? So, they already know what's being said. They just want to make sure that the guy who's saying it is, in fact, the guy they think it is. Identify that person and be able to reach that person. So, that that person can't turn around and say, I never sent this. Right?
0: Got it. So,
1: and they say that we will not be taking either the content or any other information in relation to that first originator or any information related to other users. Provided also where the first originator of any information of the computer resource of an intermediary is located outside the territory of India, the first originator of that information within the territory of India shall be deemed to be the first originator of information for the purpose of this clause. Right, so I think they're literally looking at a terror scenario where a message comes in from Pakistan, it goes relayed to one person, who then relays it forward. That first person, that first person, the first node in India becomes source originator for the purpose of India.
0: So this is the rule,
1: right? Now WhatsApp has filed a petition against this. It's a very interesting petition, Um, and I think it raises. So at the heart of this petition is one single thing, in my view. There's nothing else. That is more important than what I'm going to say now. This seemingly innocuous and otherwise seemingly rational legislation that only wants to further national interest goals requires that end-to-end encryption come to an end forever. There is no way by which both can happen. That I get a backdoor entry, traceability, by WhatsApp, and end-to-end encryption exists. So far as I understand it in tech. There is so, one
0: piece. paper... So at a te- uh, just for, for more clarity, at a technological level.
1: At a technological level. There okay. is one paper that I I would love to be able to read honestly, but it's, it's got so much complicated mathematics in it that it's, it's from my area. I can't do it which says that there are certain tech capacities that might exist that can do traceability without ending end to end encryption, right? So just to clarify for people again, end to end encryption means when you send a message from your phone on WhatsApp to another person, that message only exists either on your phone or on that recipient's phone, Or on the phones of others who may be members of that group to that extent right which means that there is that whatsapp can't access it police can't access it nobody can access it unless they have your phone or a recipient's phone right that is a very high level of privacy right and most importantly let's forget about this i hate examining issues from the perspective of the exception first, national security is the exception. I don't want to look at this issue first from the exception. First, let's look at it for what it is, as it stands, as a technology and as a uh, uh, as a mode of communication. It is perfectly legal. It is perfectly rational. It is perfectly desirable. I, as a citizen, don't want people to be able to hear what I'm saying. Right? It's a very rational thing to say. I. It's the same thing on a telephone. Normal telephone. When I call up someone and I'm having a conversation with them, I don't expect for anybody else to be able to hear that call. That's a natural and rational expectation on my part. I want security in relation to that particular uh, conversation. Now, phones don't provide you that same level of security, but this tech comes along and it does provide you that level of security. What WhatsApp does is it collects metadata, I believe of users. right? So it it can potentially give you this information, unlike, say, Signal and Telegram, who do not collect metadata. So they can't even comply with this. They simply can't even comply with this. They'd have to completely dismantle their architecture. So in a sense, this regulation puts the idea of end-to-end encryption on trial. It essentially says end-to-end encryption is in some way, manner or form, a technology which is against public interest. So forget whether it's WhatsApp, forget whether it's Signal, forget whether it's Telegram, it doesn't matter. It basically says end-to-end encryption is an infeasible technology in India. And that, I think, should not be accepted by anybody. That's, that's where I would pitch this, right? So what does WhatsApp say in its petition? It says, look, there is no way, uh, no way for us to comply with your rule without destroying the tech and if we destroy the tech, yeah, so there's somebody commenting that they can't exist together, for, just as what I said, right? They cannot exist together. Uh, but whoever that person is, they can contact me later on Twitter and I'll share a particular highly technical paper and I'd be grateful if they could read it and explain it to me. I tried reading it, but beyond a point, I, you know, I don't want I, I've read it, I've understood it to a degree, but I don't understand the math. I don't want to comment on it without having a full and deeper comprehension of it but right? be that as it may, I can explain the case to you, that I can certainly do. <clears throat> now, WhatsApp says, even absent end-to-end encryption removal, right? first originator requirements, even absent that, we have a clear policy of dealing with investigative requests. And we provide all kinds of information. And I want to show you one example of the info that they do provide. If you go to the WhatsApp uh, help center on their website, you can find information for law enforcement authorities. It's a separate section, enforcement information for law enforcement authorities. Um, and I'm just going to read out portions of this for you. This is in material what I'm going to read out. This is the bit that applies to US law enforcement agencies. I'm reading this out because this is broader. This is a US-based company. It's first and foremost, understand there is no WhatsApp India. The WhatsApp that is filing a writ petition against the government of India is a Delaware entity. It's not an Indian entity. It has operations in India by virtue of which it acquires a locus standi to approach an Indian court. Because it is also being regulated. So it is affected by regulations. It has the right. It has the remedy. It has the right. It has the remedy. Here we go. We disclose account records solely in accordance with our terms of service and applicable law including the Federal Stored Communications Act and then they list out the sections under US law. Right, A valid subpoena issued in connection with an official criminal investigation is required to compel the disclosure of and now be very very careful about what I read next. I am now showing to you that in their existing investigative cooperative mechanism, what is the kind of information they are willing to share. Okay. Disclosure of basic subscriber records, which may include, if available, that is, if you have volunteered this info when you've gone on to WhatsApp, name, service start date, last seen date, IP address, and email address. Right? What this excludes, which these rules would want, is first and foremost, actual first first originator confirmation. This, in fact, arises after law enforcement authority has either confirmation of the first originator or is assuming confirmation of first originator and wants some more information about that person. Right. A court order issued under the requisite section is required to compel the disclosure of certain records or other information pertaining to the account. First and foremost, not including contents of communication. So your messages can't be shared in any event which may include numbers blocking or blocked by the user in addition to the basic subscriber records identified above. OK, so if you want this additional information, you need a particular separate warrant under US law. And if you go for, further forward, a search warrant issued under the procedures described in the federal rules of criminal procedure or equivalent state warrant procedures upon a showing of probable causes required to compel the disclosure, disclosure of the stored contents of any account which may include about information, right? The section that you put in about yourself. Profile photos, if you put them up. Group information and address book, if available in the ordinary course of providing our service. Whatever you put on WhatsApp, that is not inside that chat box, right? That chat box where you put out what you want to say and you hit enter. Whatever is not within that is outside that is actually stored on WhatsApp servers. So WhatsApp can provide that. So what is WhatsApp saying? To the extent of what we have, we are cooperating, right? Then they say WhatsApp does not store messages once they are delivered or transaction logs of such delivered messages. So they don't even deliver. They don't even store messages of when was this delivered. Let leave alone what is the particular message right and undelivered messages are deleted from our servers after 30 days whatsapp offers end-to-end encryption for our services which is always activated they don't have a means of deactivating it we interpret the national security letter provision is applied to whatsapp to require the production of only two categories of information name and length of service so if somebody is now turning around so Going back to first, that propagandist rubbish that we were talking about right at the start, right? Big tech versus India, big tech. No, no. They do this everywhere. Okay. RS Prasad has apparently made some statement saying, oh, they are willing to share information in Australia and US and Europe. No, no. They're only willing to share this information. And they'll happily share this information with you also, if you have laws in place that require this information. Mm -hmm. Right? How is that twisted? That is twisted to say, OK, the US goes only so far as to say, give us only this much information, right? But we are going further. We want even first to originate information. You say you will, you will provide information based on applicable law. Well, this is the applicable law. So provide the information, please. That's the counter argument, right? And WhatsApp's answer to that is, but your applicable law can't violate the privacy and fundamental rights of free speech and expression of your own citizens. And that's what this debate now becomes. So let's go past the idea of WhatsApp is refusing to comply with India. law. they are happy to comply with Indian law exactly to the degree to which they are complying with law all over the world. Now supposing all the democracies in the world get together and say, we now deem end to end encryption is such a serious security threat. That it's been identified as the technology that's been used in various terror attacks, various uh, other attacks against the country that has caused actual loss of life and property repeatedly. And so now we decide that we're going to ban end-to-end tech, end-to-end encryption. Leave alone the fact that the enforcement problem that I was discussing, very hard to enforce this, very, very Mm -hmm. hard to enforce. But theoretically, if they were to do that, you could then say, now I have enough information, enough data. Right to satisfy the three necessary tests under Indian law of legality, necessity, and proportionality. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to restrict a fundamental right of privacy, I'm going to do it on these three. I have the right to privacy. Therefore, I have the right to join up on an end-to-end encryption platform. In fact, I join it because it is end-to-end encryption. Mm-hmm. If you are going to remove end-to-end encryption, you are compromising my... Uh, my privacy. And privacy in in those circumstances becomes inextricably linked to freedom of speech because the idea is that I speak more freely to smaller groups. Therefore, it is still publication, but it is publication to a smaller number of people. I am able to speak more freely only because of privacy. This is the essence of the WhatsApp petition. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You don't have a reply from the government Point to point. I'll just give you a few more aspects. of This WhatsApp, what's in the course of the petition. Set out various examples uh, of the kind of people who would ordinarily be using these kinds of uh, these kinds of data, and they 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 do a very good job. By the way, I mean it's been filed by uh, a prominent law firm, excellent lawyers. So it's a it's a very professionally drafted petition. It's quite clear. So, I'll give you an example of certain aspects of Indian law that they say are germane to this. They may not be binding precedent, but they are germane to the idea of the uplifting and preservation of privacy since the privacy judgment came out. The problem with most people is they think Putuswami's judgment came out. And then there was, that's it. Privacy didn't, didn't sort of expand as a legal. It, it's expanded quite a bit, actually. And it's okay. got some measured in, right? So, what they point out is the right to anonymity is considered by the Supreme Court to be a part of the right to privacy. So this is one of the issues that people raise for Twitter, that why, how can Twitter allow anonymity at all? And the short answer is because it is my right to be anonymous on on, on the internet if I wish to be. Mm -hmm. Requiring intermediaries to enable the identification of the first first originator of the information in India on end-to-end encrypted messaging services constitutes a dangerous invasion of privacy this would require petition to build the, petitioner to build the ability to identify the first originator of every communication sent in India on its platform, as there is no way to predict which message will be subject to such an order seeking first originator information. In other words, it's the end of end to end. encryption. That's what they're saying. Right. Mm-hmm. That has certain other ancillary arguments that I think they could have made. They have chosen not to make that's up to them. Uh, but I will present those as we go along. Right. Under the test announced in Portiswami to justify an intrusion, you have to show legality, as I said, legality, necessity, and proportionality. They say this is not a valid law because there is no parent parliamentary law that allows for the deletion effectively of end-to-end encryption. Right? There are two different things. One side is going to argue: I am only enforcing a national security requirement, an informational national security envi- environment uh, requirement which I will enforce in the narrowest way possible because I've already said that if I have other means of discovering this information, I will not come to you. I will not require it for all kinds of offenses. And uh, I will not... And I'm not asking for the actual content of the message or any other ancillary information in relation to any of this. Right? So that's how they say uh, that it, it it just doesn't... Uh, it shouldn't harm anybody to the extent to which these people are pretending it will harm people. Now, on privacy, WhatsApp makes various arguments to say, like I said, anonymity has been accepted. Uh, This is very important. They say you need to have a judicial order or judicial determination, right? That something is so vital for which you can circumvent privacy before you do the actual circumvention of privacy. In other words, you have to be able to go to a magistrate and convince him that we want somebody's phone or we want somebody's WhatsApp information or we want somebody's email information because it contains the following things or may contain the following things or we have enough information to suggest it contains the following things. Right? If that is how you're going to go about it, which this rule does not set up necessarily, if that's how you're going to go about it, how do you go into prevention and detection in the first place? Right? So what they're trying to say is that your rule does not have enough protection from in relation to the scrutiny of a judicial officer. I don't know whether this ground will stand muster because the rule itself provides for an order passed by a judicial officer. That can be read to mean that it must be a judicial officer passing an order prior to a request being made. It can't be an ex post facto uh, order. Uh, they liken it to the effectively, effectively to a warrant. And there are some very interesting judgments that they set out, and one of the more interesting ones was that. Uh, do you remember the whole set of cases through the 2010s where the Maharashtra government had decided one way or another we're getting rid of those dance bars, right? So yeah. they first uh, they first did like a straight banning in a sense didn't survive that. that that was unconstitutional you couldn't ban them right outright, and they kept losing because they kept trying to draw a distinction between. Dancing in dance bars or local dance bars is more dangerous than, say, elsewhere. Right? And that is the specious distinction on which they lost that legislation. The Maharashtra government kept losing. Eventually, what they came up with was, all right, this is legal, but we have still every right to regulate it so they came up with these licenses that required 26 separate conditions to be satisfied before a license could be issued for a dance bar and very onerous kind of description right crazy things
0: those one are of, amazing
1: one of them was you must have cctv cameras at the doorway ai shabash <laughs> and you people should be happy to know indian courts are progressive enough to say this is rubbish this is an invasion of privacy why? Because you don't have enough data to say that dance bars actually have all these negative effects, which you in you know, uh, a very uh, negative and non-progressive way want to examine them as. Right? So you want to say, this is where trafficking happens. This is where rapes happen. This is where women are exploited. This is where they, they are financially also ex- exploited. And you're, you fail to produce enough, enough information to any of these. And that's why you lose that case, right? So WhatsApp is using that to say that kind of privacy protection exists exactly in end-to-end encryption. You are allowing by this rule, and it may sound a very narrow rule, a fishing expedition for the investigative agencies. And that can't be permitted. That simply can't be permitted. Right? So you could tomorrow pass a law. That says, if a protest converts into a riot or becomes violent, seven years punishment. That will fit perfectly within this rule. Now, every protester who is a part of, who's been identified as being present at that protest, you can go and say, we want first originator information of all the stuff that they've been Right? We want their first originator information. This is their phone number. This is everything. They are registered here. They are registered there. You have absolutely nothing to go by. And this is the basis on which you want to go and now investigate all of these people. I'll tell you something very easy. Uh, the easier thing is you catch people after they've done something or if they're in the process of doing something and you are perfectly empowered under the CRPC to uh, seize their phones. Right? And then you can examine WhatsApp from there. And it's, since it's end-to-end encrypted, at least qua the person who is whose phone you have in their hand, they can't deny that they have said what, what, what that message says. Right? You can simply send out the CFSL and say, yeah, this is all valid. It's not been doctored, nothing. Easy. And you can identify a phone number and a name of the opposing side. Now, the name might name may be falsified or it may be codified, but the number can't be falsified. The number has to be the number at which a person is communicating. So there are many ways to do exactly what they think they're doing here. right? And, and here's a secondary problem. Once you open this back door, once you end, finish end-to-end encryption and you open this backdoor, obviously, once the tech is compromised, it's not compromised only for the benefit of the state. I'm not even so worried that it is only the state that will abuse the process. Others will. My banking information is on my phone. I may have shared it on WhatsApp with people who who have to pay me or whatever. And And the next thing I know, hackers can get in and they can also get the same information, which they can't today. Right? it's it's a very difficult task to be able to get through. So you asked me about the Apple case. Apple stuck steadfast, they refused. Right? The FBI eventually backed off, and now the FBI says they have through their own means learned how to hack through when they need to. If they have the phone, if they have the device in their possession. If they have the device in their possession, which is perfectly fine. This brings me back to my old point. If you draw legislation, you better well have the enforcement technology, the enforcement ability. In relation to it, don't expect everybody else to come and enforce it for you. Yeah, so, a, a so, this, goes,
0: Nikhil, minute. So this goes back to the original point we were talking about now. The nature of legislation is always catching up to the technology.
1: And the tech always runs away. Yeah. <laughs> the tech always <laughs> runs away. Right? So, people have this very bad habit of saying, ne manga hai, doge? Dunga nahin, ko ka so, No right. People don't have this sense of asking the government why do you want this? You have to have a legitimate purpose.
0: You know? Yeah. So I I, I agree with you on this one.
1: Until we develop that kind of attitude, uh, you know, we're bound to be pushed around by the state.
0: Uh, Nikhil, we have to take uh, the live viewers questions because I have too many questions too. So I just want to give you one thing. So I, I actually came across an article written by Anurag Anurag Saxena. And he talks about something. I'm just reading a couple of paragraphs. I, I understand if you will not give me your opinion right away, but I think it will add some value to our discussion. So Anurag, I'm directly reading from Anurag's article in the Financial Express. Anurag and Ankur Gupta wrote this. So he says here that Singapore has come up with the Protection from Online Falsehoods and Manipulation Act, PO, POFMA, which basically in 2019, they made this empowers the relevant ministry, to order the issuance of a, a very important word, correction notice rather than removals. Social media platforms are likely to resist actively removing content lest the content clearly violates national laws. Issuing a correction notice allows for a grey option in the false binaries of black and white. It also reframes the argument from a freedom of speech argument to a conversation about truthfulness and factuality. So I just wanted to read this paragraph. I think Singapore is kind of dealing with it in with more precision. Then I guess India is, no? No, well, I so
1: you know, I, I don't know in what context that Para will properly apply, to be perfectly honest with you. Okay. I, I understand that if there are individual perfidies being stated about certain individuals, that's fine. You can you can always correct those who in order. You know, it's maybe less cost uh, uh much more cost effective for us to say, all right somebody somebody made a defamatory tweet about me, and I can just go to a government agency and say, please have this corrected. Right. It's more cost-effective, and they ha- and they take their process and they have it corrected. They this could also go to the extent of uh, the the manipulated media tag in relation to the toolkit. The problem there is the Singapore government may have this power, but they're not going to exercise it without underlying material. Right? Don't look merely to the content of the the language, the sophistry of the of the directory part of the language of the order, which will say, "Oh, please correct this." They are going to justify the basis of a correction. They're not going to exercise the power in vacuum. So this is something that the Indian state needs to come to terms with. I have read various press releases and various uh, requests of that sort that the Indian government makes. And they are not reasoned, Kushal. I'll be very honest with you. They're not reasoned. There was some press release that came out two days ago where people were hailing saying like, wow, this is good. The Indian government has really responded to Twitter it's gone and said things like you know you are trying to dictate to the indian to the world's largest democracy and there are examples in which you've done it and you haven't done it for us have you reasoned your arguments as well as others do now there's no doubt twitter has a bias qua uh, the insurgency attacks on washington dc in january no doubt about it but that's america's problem not ours right it's not our problem qua us when you make a request are you establishing its basis? And this really seems to be the big problem with the Indian government. Because I think what it wants is the power of dictate It wants to be able to say, hey, there's a particular tweet or a particular post. We say this is wrong. Because we say it wrong. it's wrong, you've got to do what we tell you to do. If you position yourself in this manner as the Indian government, it's actually logical and very easy for Twitter to turn around and say, oh, then we are the last bastion
0: of free speech. You've, but are not. Them. Sorry? But they're not the last bastion of free yeah. speech. Look,
1: you, uh, all I'm trying to say is that this is... the Indian government is fighting this battle at a lower level of argumentative quality than others. Are. That's all I'm trying to drive at. You can't be saying, we give you an order, you have to comply with it. You can't say that we will give you unreasoned orders also and you have to comply with it. That's not going to work. Right? this is why I keep coming back to that toolkit. That manipulated media tag, you want it removed, have it removed. You're going to have to reason it. Right? And Twitter's answer is, look, based on ORC uh, news, it, it doesn't matter whether they're part of IFC, IFCN or not. And, it, and for me, IFCN also does not have any official value in that real sense. We've looked at this sort of frisking of your claim, and it's a very deep frisking. Plus, the Congress government, Congress, has filed an FIR against you, and they want an investigation to carry on. Right? We are taking a prima facie view that we can at least impose a tag. We may we can't say based on this remove the material or suspend accounts that share this material, but we're placing you under a tag. You have to have the capacity to produce the facts to challenge the tag, and that should not be coming from the government. That should be coming from the Bharti Janata Party. The actual people who say that this this toolkit was being uh, produced. And you can't just simply say, all right, so we, instead of doing that mental work and that actual work, we're going to turn to the government and say, let's just issue a diktat. If you just start issuing diktats, you're going to start losing cases in court. You take that from me in writing. And once you start losing cases in court, then your position becomes untenable going forward.
0: Got it. So Nikhil, now let's start taking questions because uh, there are some good questions too. So some of them, have, I think, uh, Karan had asked. Could he elaborate on law enforcement asking messengers to provide them info on first originator? What is his opinion on this? I think we've already covered this. You've already explained it's the
1: that. It's the whole podcast. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. So that 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 has already been uh, c- clarified. I think some are more than uh, more of comments than actual questions. So
1: oh, I don't. Uh, don't Leaving <laughs> I mean, if they're. You
0: know, good, bad, ugly, whatever the. Yeah, no, so I'll just read them out so that, you know, people know. So somebody has said social media is complicit and an enabler of widening fault lines within the society with absolute immunity. This is a this is a valid point. But is social media an active player or is it just a platform and the people are doing it is where the discussion should be. So in such a scenario, is India a democracy or is democracy harmed? I guess was the person saying, I don't think so. This is a question, but I still wanted to read it. Again, Arvind has I, said... I think people who ask that question always get stuck. But they see, Twitter does
1: Twitter allow it? Right? And hmm. Twitter's answer, I don't allow or disallow. And if I allow it... See, people get angry saying, Twitter allow it? How is this thing? How is this information? How, how is a person allowed to this on Twitter? Mm-hmm. Twitter, you are being... you know, you, you are... You, you're, you have, you're, you're a hypocrite for allowing certain information to stay up and certain information to come down. Fair enough. Whatever that may be. That, that comes down to... They, Twitter's simple answer will be no. We have certain mechanisms. We adopt those mechanisms. We stick to those mechanisms. We can justify ourselves in those mechanisms.
0: Right? Yeah, but we that, that's, not, that's where the yeah. problem is. They don't.
1: We are not making an individual. But nobody takes them to a point where they were forced to place that information. Look, somebody has to go to court and say, how could they have deleted my tweet? It's a facet of my free speech. Nobody does that. that.
0: Point. Yes. Right?
1: Everybody yes. goes to Twitter and says, in an email, respond to me to which Twitter says, ghanta bhai, I'll give you the most. I'll give you what a car does. I'll give you the most general language ever, which you can like. It's essentially yeah. It's it just there's there's nothing in that. Right. So people don't want to enforce their rights. It's much like the government. Government doesn't want to enforce the laws. People don't want to enforce their rights, and everybody wants to crib. You're not going to win this, this. way. You're not even in fact going to find the contours, the full contours of what this is in this manner.
0: Got it. So this is again. <laughs> So Arvind says, fact checkers, who made them the arbitrators of fact, uh, arbiters of fact? Why do they act as hall monitors? Asking because I do not understand. And here's the problem, Nikhil. These hall monitors are the ones that these tech giants like Twitter and Facebook rely on. In the case of Facebook, we know they have this uh, outside body, which Facebook says we don't interfere in. I'll give you a tangible example. So they revisited Facebook, the Trump ban. Now no outside body go dea outside body kepas gay other and the outside body said right now we don't feel the situation is as good to reallow Trump's ban. And Facebook basically washed their hands off the whole issue. They're like, we don't take the decision. See, this outside body took the decision. Trump is going to stay outside. This is a Biden, problem. Why does Trump sue them? That's exactly. I think Trump is going to sue those people. If, if Trump, Trump sues
1: them. We're going to see more development of law in that one judgment than we have in so many decades of intermediary liability.
0: Hmm. So, okay, this is a very good question by our common friend Nirmalya. So, if you and Nikhil had a carte blanche to decide the centers respond to Twitter over the manipulated media tag, what would you guys do? Very good question. So, kar leta.
1: You, you answer this first. I pretty much answered it, but but you answered Yeah, so my
0: answer is very simple. I think as far as the government is concerned, I think I agree with Nikhil as far as this point is concerned. In the manipulated media case, the BJP should have sued Twitter, not the government doing anything. But in the case of the government, I feel the government is absolutely justified in saying we cannot have a foreign company coming in India and deciding what is okay and not okay for the nation. We cannot have a situation where there is a company over and above. First of all, at a fundamental level, I have started to have problems with the global Internet. I think Internet has to be localized with some global options. Uh, people may not like what I'm thinking. But the point is the, the, the Internet and the societal flow should be like this. These tech companies have to comply with local laws. And then what? the debate is not whether the law is good or bad. The debate is whether these companies are above those laws. I don't think so. Their companies are above those laws. They first comply with the laws, in my view. And then we fight with the governments to change those laws. And those companies keep expanding their gambit as per the fight we have with our government. Twitter is nobody to fight our battles. We vote for the governments every five years. Twitter cannot be an outside observer and a player. in this is my view.
1: Okay, my, my take is I go even further back on first principles. Please tell me which law did Twitter violate?
0: I think Twitter is in clear violation of a law, as, as much as you. I can't believe. so I'll give you a very clear example. I I refuse to believe that Twitter has not uh, broken any obscenity law in India because yeah, you no, name no, the no. obscenity
1: a specific case of the toolkit. Come on, this question is on the toolkit. Yeah? On, on the toolkit yeah? well, then let's not bring obscenity into it. Yeah? Obscenity, if they broke, breached the law, then, then government of India should take a step and say, okay, they breached laws of obscenity. This is what you have to do. You have to take off X content, Y content. If they don't take it off, then go and fight them. But this question was in
0: relation to the toolkit. But which law is Twitter breached? Someone explain to me, please. No, I, I agree that, with you. On the manipulated video, I don't think so. Anybody has uh, broken any law. The only so thing so that has so to be done say, is... Let's stop saying this because this is now becoming a repetitive and in my view, it's a
1: cannot. Let's stop saying that these big tech companies are coming and dictating to us. they're not dictating to us, right They're not dictating to us. if somebody says, oh who's made these fact checkers anything we have to, right It's a political battle at the end of the day, this is a political battle. You have one fact checker, the other side has one fact checker and one side is better at this level of politics, much like you are better at your ground level politics right If you bring in a law that says and this is this is something to consider, bring in a law that says, If you are going to have third party independent fact checkers for content, they must comport with the following requirements. Right. So that you standardize the quality of fact checking. Right. Which in my view is still a very difficult thing to do. I much prefer the noise and and, and mess of all these social media companies where I, I, my personal view is this i think over time people are getting wiser at smelling fake news right and they are getting wiser at the kind of fake news they know to be fake which they want to confuse which they want to consume and call as fact the whole game is a lot of propaganda for everybody everybody wants some material that relates to their side to be believably true even if it may be completely fant- fantastic Right, So, people are behaving in particular ways, but then they're suddenly saying the law should comport with a more rational reality, but your behavior is not rational either. And we're never going to get on top of what all of this is, all of this is, until there is some basic, simple, straightforward telling on who is doing what, and that's not going to happen until we stop fighting all of this on Twitter and in podcasts and start taking it to court. Take it to court and ask Twitter, what is this manipulated media tag? How did you come up with it? Or how did you come up with this pornography uh, tag for certain things or you know uh, individual people going how do you, how did you ban my tweet how did you suspend my account even a 24 hour suspension of my account amounts to a breach of my fundamental rights if you have breached mine if you have if you have suspended my account for 24 hours i am taking your policy to court
0: So I'll give you many examples of where Twitter should be taken to court. And it has already started, by the way. I think Steven Crowder is taking uh, YouTube to court in um, the United States of America. So I'll give you, I'll draw a narrative for you. Let's say you're a YouTuber, you're a content creator, and you make your livelihood through these big tech platforms. Now, big tech platforms had a policy at that time that... uh, the, the lab leak hypothesis is fake news. Anybody who talks about the lab leak hypothesis will be banned off of their platforms. Suddenly in six months, they have a change of heart. It is not. Now they banned certain people and their affiliates based on their policy at that time. And that has led to direct loss of revenue and loss of livelihood for, livelihood for these people. Now those people, all of them are now taking these big tech platforms to court and telling them compensators. You can't keep dilly dallying all the time. Now, what will happen is the big tech platforms will be saying, we went by the science and these government institutions, but it is not as simple as that because these big tech platforms do not go with the science in many cases. So it is not as black and white as people think they want it yeah, to be. Yeah, you're
1: right, you're right. It's, it's hypocritical behavior that will come out in a cross-examination very well. And I think more importantly, I, I think what will what should come out of this is this power of banning business as to go. Yeah. Unless they... Clear court order or a clear offense that is committed by someone is banning business has to go.
0: That's the point. So if social media has to survive in its current global avatar, it has to stop playing referee. The moment it stops playing referee, the judge jury prosecution, then it will start. Anyways, I'll ask you a few more questions because we uh, have to wrap it up.
1: Referee thing, right? Community standards requirements. If we were to take like the most laissez-faire approaches... You are in a larger community. In that community, complaints are received about certain content. Right? And say you set up a standard which says, if we get 1 million complaints about something, we will remove that content. Right? A really high bar. Even if you were to set a very high bar. You're not playing referee. Right? But the actual act of banning comes from you eventually. Unless you go by my view, which is nothing can ever be banned. Nothing can ever be removed. Unless there's a court order. Unless there's a clear violation of law. And that violation will have to be determined by a court, first and foremost. And only then will it be allowed.
0: I agree with you. That should be the standard set for these uh, tech platforms. But they don't do that. I agree with you.
1: They they, they need to be compelled down that path. That will need some lawsuits to get filed
0: yeah so Nikki, let me take a few more questions uh, so I, I think what this was particularly answered this, does twitter india public policy director have any say in terms of which user will be allowed or blocked i don't think so uh, uh, the twitter india chief is on paper saying thato salesman who sorry, decision udhar se hote so uh, somebody made a comment whatsapp shows forwards many times for messages so they are counting i don't know what was this in uh, uh, so this is a query uh,
1: This is important. WhatsApp actually says this is them being responsive about certain things. WhatsApp actually mentions this in their petition itself. They say that, you know, when when particular messages are being multiply forwarded, we we have pinpointed that this is a message that is being forwarded many times over. We have restricted the number of of people you can forward a particular message to because virality had to be curtailed. We don't want to enter into the idea of what is correct content, not correct content. This is what WhatsApp says. But what we can do is reduce the velocity of the movement of the content. And they, in fact, highlight to their virtue by saying we are the only content company that took a step, such as this step, which led to a 25% reduction in forwarding of content. So we are a content company that were willing to constrain the, the creation of content, which would otherwise be to our benefit, only so that the platform remains more viable.
0: Got it. So another another question was, uh, Nikhil, this was an interesting uh, query. Somebody has genuinely asked the query. Weren't telephone calls tapped as part of criminal investigations in the past? So if that is the case, why is WhatsApp out of that purview? It's a good question. I think any layman would ask this question.
1: See, this is the problem. It's not outside of that purview. It's not outside that purview. You can go get a warrant for a particular... Uh, information for for particular messages on WhatsApp to be accessed by you, right? What puts it out of the purview is the tech. You can tap a normal telephone call. You cannot tap an end-to-end encryption call, right? So end-to-end encryption exists as a technology today. If it did not exist and somebody was bringing it in, you could have arguments against it, but it exists today. And it's become a facet of your behavior as a consumer. It's become a facet of your privacy. What your example would say is well, let's finish end to end encryption forever. That's that's you know really what it's coming down to. So these parallels they apply logically, they apply. There's no doubt. Nobody's mm-hmm. gonna dispute your power to examine somebody's WhatsApp uh data and content etc through an investigative process no problem with that
0: mm-hmm. but can you
1: do it in such a way that destroys their tech itself i would make an argument and i, I realize i missed this but i wanted to come to it you know you can ask and i'd made a distinction earlier you can ask these companies to alter their corporate structure no problem what you're trying to do now is to destroy their business model altogether their business their, their product architecture you're effectively banning the product itself, right? WhatsApp is not WhatsApp if it's not end-to-end encrypted. It means nothing. Mm-hmm. Right? So in a sense, what are you doing? You're imposing a restriction on their freedom of trade. And if you're imposing a restriction on their freedom of trade, is this restriction reasonable in such a manner so as to completely destroy their model of operation? Right when that particular model of operation also finds support from the individual right to privacy and the individual rights to free speech.
0: Got it. All right. So a few, uh, a few more questions. I, I did not get this one. Somebody said, "What constitutes in courts friendly relations with foreign state?" Uh, does giving misleading interviews uh, be become a violation in this case? I don't know what this question means. The
1: question is a logical one. I think that what they what they're asking is that if somebody gives a misleading interview pertaining to another foreign country, which is a friendly country of ours, can India come and say, we'll ban that interview in India? That's what this guy is asking, whoever it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A valid question. I, I, I haven't looked at this enough to know the answer, to be honest. With
0: you. All right. So, okay. The next one is, Facebook and Google are crushing Twitter in India. Maybe Twitter wants to be banned by India. Bans will allow them a face-saving exit from the market as a martyr in the West, ending up to Big Brother. It's an interesting
1: observation. I can't say more. About this.
0: I mean, yeah, so I think this clear. is in the realm of speculation. Even I agree. We don't know. Yeah. So, okay, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube cannot have different sets of rules for different people. Shouldn't there be clear laws and equality for all users of these platforms? So what they're trying to say is that these are not just private companies anymore. I want to add. And this is, see, people try to dismiss this argument as, eh, private companies and individuals, they can do what they want to do. No, not anymore. These have become monopolies. The moment they become monopolies, they change. No, they. So the problem is this. I
1: think philosophically they change. I'm with you on this. But legally there's nothing that changes them today
0: Boss, so this is
1: you know this didn't need their user bases to grow to the scale to which it's grown when we were dealing with this with these companies when they first came out it was a very clear argument you are free speech today right you are the modern town hall today you can have very fancy ways of saying this but you are the sole mode of free speech today so your privacy policy or your uh, suspension policy or deletion policy is as good as a law. If you have that kind of mass following that kind of mass uh, consumption. So, you. Need, but, but that's a philosophical argument. I can say it as a philosophical argument. You're effectively there. Let me give you another example of this on something that might logically be a parallel, right? The, The BCCI is a private club. Mm -hmm. Okay. But by judgment, the Delhi High Court held it amenable to jurisdiction under, I'm going to explain this. Let me just say it out first. I'll explain it after that. Jurisdiction under Article 226 of the Constitution as a body which is exercising certain public functions. Right. The Supreme Court has always held BCCI is a private body. Right, But because of the nature of functions it exercises, to the nature of those functions, it is amenable to writ jurisdiction. By that I mean writ jurisdiction only applies against state or state bodies. Got it. It cannot apply against a private individual. There is no writ against a private individual. right? So even though BCCI may be a private individual in its conception, by the nature of its function, it is brought into 226 jurisdiction for limited purposes. You could do the same for these.
0: That's a good observation. I'm actually thinking this makes a lot of sense, the BCCI right. analogy. Right. Now, the answer that these guys come back with is, you, you are only a
1: user with us by virtue of private contract.
0: So, the law has to work around that bit.
1: Yeah. So, the way I would argue it is, this is these are form contracts. I have no negotiation power. You have You are a platform where I need to be able to communicate with 550 million people on WhatsApp, for example, in India. Or thirty or thirty-five million odd people on Twitter in India, or maybe I don't know how many hundred millions on Facebook. I need to be able to have that power of communication, and that power of communication is not merely limited to me having my chopal from which I can say what I want to say. It extends to the idea of you know coordinating maybe relief work. Covid, how much of Covid resources did we all connect with on Twitter, on Facebook, on WhatsApp, man? Right. So it's communication is an imperative. It's a, it's like taking my voice box away. From, a, from the past. That's, what I, that's how I would argue it to say. These contracts mean nothing in that context. I have no negotiation power. You cannot now bind me to these terms in the way in which I would in a non-form contract. I don't have the option to stay away is the other thing I would. I just don't have the option to stay away anymore.
0: I don't have any answer because this question is very specific by, by a viewer. They say, what is the law on deep fakes on Twitter? Are you aware of that? I am not. So I'll I'll not pretend to answer this
1: you know this must be image rights related you're impersonating this is enough criminal law on this
0: got it so okay so uh, nikhil so okay, okay. so I, I think we've asked uh, we've covered all the questions that i i i, I got so before we uh, i'll be making my closing comments but before we wrap up today's discussion so how would you how what what would be your closing comments because we we started this issue by saying that this is very complex and I'm actually very grateful to you that you spent so much time in explaining the complexity of this problem from a legal perspective. The problem in India is we, our discussions are at the realm of emotional arguments. They never go into the, you know, realm of uh, legal concepts. So I, I just had one last question by someone, uh, Nikhil, they've just popped in. So, and I'll, you know, maybe you can incorporate it in your uh, you know, closing comments. So somebody has asked social media or any other future tech public communication or mass communication should have some generic laws. So actually, this is good for your closing comments. So what do we do about this mess, Nikhil? We all love freedom of expression. We all love privacy. We all love this. But at the same time, we know big tech is not as crystal clear and clean and squeaky clean as they pretend to be. What the hell do we do, Nikhil, from a legal perspective? I will give the philosophical answers, but I want to hear your legal answer.
1: Listen, I, I would definitely have a law on deplatforming. There should be no deplatforming. Or deplatforming oh, yeah. requires some very, very high standards, because like I said, there is, it's impos- impossible for people to stay away from all kinds of social media platforms anymore. You just have to be on something or the other. Otherwise you're not communicating with the world in the way in which others are. Right? And WhatsApp will be the biggest of them. Twitter is not so big. I mean, we keep making a noise about Twitter because we're all on Twitter, but Twitter is immaterial relative to WhatsApp, relative to other messenger services, right? So, de platforming is step one. That you need to have a law for, for sure. As to content, right? People talk about the virality of fakeness, etc. right? Where did this originate from? It originated from the fact that people are angry. A lot of policymakers were angry that Brexit happened, for example, or that Trump. And all of these guys want based on all kinds of fake news and fake narratives and creating these uh, these racist impressions and so on and so forth, right? They, they, they've just not figured out how to counter that with more information. Now, you can turn around and say the X person is uh, spreading fake racist information. Fair enough. That's a more identifiable term. But you will still need some kind of body out there. I will have to look at these requests. Now, the problem is this. There'll be 50 million messages a day. There'll be 50 million messages a day. So I can keep coming back to that. You can have a law. My, my friend keeps saying this. You know, we all need a law. Sure, have it. Good luck enforcing it. That's the problem. It's right? so a big tech. You can scream at them and yell at them all you want. We'll arrest you. We'll do this. We'll shut you down. Blah, blah, blah. But the nature of the product is such that if you're not, you cannot put this bird back in the cage.
0: All right, perfect, perfect. So, I, I actually agree with you. So, as always, Nikhil, it's a pleasure talking to you. You have. Yeah, I'll be, I'll
1: given- be, this was so complex and not really naturally my area, it's not, not stuff that I've done in cases before. So, I, I, I just try to do it as best as I could. I don't know how well it turned out or. Our, no, no, no.
0: Uh, I, I I, honestly, and I say this with uh, all seriousness, I think I,
1: it... I say that because I think it's something we should revisit in the future. Let's see how things progress. And maybe six months down the line or a year down the line, we can revisit it.
0: Got it. Got it. So once again, Nikhil, thanks for coming. It is uh, an thanks absolute pleasure. You. All right, guys. So uh, before we wrap it up, here are my comments. Uh, you have to understand that the the sole purpose of this podcast when Nikhil and I had this chat was I told Nikhil, Nikhil, the entire discussion, everybody is trying to make it as if it is so simple. It is so black and white. There is big tech on one side and there is government of India on the other side. First point, it was never big tech versus government of India. It was individual companies and individual companies uh, have problems which are unique emanating out of those things. And the government has to deal with it. Now, here's the problem with lawmaking. When you make a law, you make a law for a holistic entity without understanding that each and every tech platform provides you a very unique service. So how is the law going to be you know designed that it will take care of each and every single entity? At the same time, at a philosophical and a political and a sociopolitical level, I completely sympathize with the argument that you cannot let these big tech companies just run roughshod wherever they want to and dictate to sovereign states whatever they want to know they cannot they should not be allowed i think people are often confusing uh big tech being the arbitrators of uh, you know being the great for torchbearers of free speech versus the uh, indian state being wrong i think that is a wrong argument i think the argument should be at the realm of should these companies be above every single sovereign state i don't think so they should be now you can always come back and say to baba law barabar design karo i agree with that and which is where i feel the state is catching up because that's just the nature of the beast the beast is out of the box everybody was sitting on their on their ass and let me give you a tangible example Sab log Clubhouse se bade excited hai. Jisko dekho ja Clubhouse Clubhouse. record But do people realize the moment Clubhouse reaches that whatever, that 50 lakh subscriber base in India, the IT Act and all those amendments are going to be applicable to Clubhouse. Guess what? Clubhouse will have to record everything. Can Clubhouse stay in India? No. So, you're going to be doing this non-stop in the morning, in the morning, and go to Clubhouse. What will you do in Clubhouse? Pe? Will you say Clubhouse should do it? Will Clubhouse not doing it at all? That's just the nature of the platform. So, law... okay. No, no, they're not recording anything. Their conversation doesn't that is, that is the whole point. And always remember, technology will keep on changing. Governments will keep on adopting. Now, there are people on one side of the aisle and I am very sympathetic to that argument. Balaji Srinivasan makes the whole point that the beauty of technology when it started was that it was neutral. Neutral as in it was libertarian ideologically. And when you're libertarian ideologically, the libertarian says leave me the hell alone. So when these technology forms were there, so their leave me the hell alone attitude was seeping into everything. But then these technological forms became either left-leaning or non-left-leaning or right-leaning depending on your tastes and problems. Now whenever you become an ideology which is either right or left-leaning, you become by nature authoritarian right now big tech is left-leaning and they're trying to devour all other voices that they feel are in quotes problematic now the solution according to people like balaji srinivasan is you need those real libertarian leading platforms and that could be in the form of blockchain now i'm not saying i have definitive answers but the aim of today's podcast was not to give you definitive answers it was to make you think and have more questions and this is not a one-off discussion Nikhil is 100% right in saying that until and unless we have at least 50 to 100 lawsuits in this country against big tech and people start this boxing match or this sparring with these big tech companies, will the law mature? And believe me, this is not the end of this issue. This is a, a continuous process where we'll keep on playing catch up because technology will change and then the law will be like, ab kya iske mein? there will be no answer and then we'll come up with the answer. So, guys, I'll wrap today's discussion up on this note. I will leave you with the idea of having more questions than definitive answers once again thanks for supporting the chavak podcast please become members on youtube or subscribe on patreon or send direct donations on Kushal mehra at icici or by the merch subscribe to the channel like the video follow nikhil on twitter and always remember we are trying to bring these discussions to you and i'm very grateful to nikhil that he agreed to come today is that our sole purpose is not to preach you Our purpose is to make you think more and more and more because that's what we do as human beings. I'll see you guys next time. Until then, namaste, take care, goodbye.